This is episode 32 with coach, former editor of Running Times Magazine and author of multiple books on running, Mr. Jonathan Beverly. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and it's my job to bring you actionable running advice that you can immediately incorporate into your training to become a healthier, stronger, and faster runner. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our fan of the week. This is something I'll do from time to time to highlight the incredible members of our community. This is from Colleen, who left a review of the podcast on iTunes, and she said, Coach, thank you for taking time out of your busy life and continuing to help us runners at all levels. Recently, you helped me reach my goal to complete a 10-miler. I'm 60 years young, and although I ran four half marathons in my lifetime, I haven't run in over six years. I finished the 10-miler without injuries and just came in for my first run since. I listened to episode two of the podcast and took your advice to leave the watch at home and listen to my body. I cannot believe that I ran a comfortable pace and completely abandoned the run-walk strategy I followed for the past 12 weeks. My plan is to continue to run, to stay healthy, not to train for a race. I deeply appreciate your wisdom and the fact that you are sharing tips for all levels of running. Thank you again, and congratulations on the Strength Running Podcast. Count on me to continue to be a listener. Such awesome words from Colleen. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. If you'd like to be featured on the show, go ahead and leave an honest review on iTunes, and you might hear yourself on the show. And a big thanks today as well to our sponsor, Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people get special life insurance rates. Head on over to healthiq backslash strengthrunning to see how your running can help you save on insurance. All right, let's dive into today's show. It's a good one. We're finally getting to the bottom of what proper running form actually means. Our guest today is Jonathan Beverly, the former editor-in-chief of Running Times Magazine. He worked there for 15 years, from 2000 all the way to 2015. He's the author of Run Strong, Stay Hungry, and his newest book, Your Best Stride, How to Optimize Your Natural Form to Run Easier, Farther, and Faster with Fewer Injuries. And guys, I'm going to level with you. I really love this book. There's a lot of junk out there about form, from prescribing a specific type of foot strike, thinking there's a magical cadence number that everyone should hit all the time, or trying to put every runner into one form framework. That's not how it works. And this is the most BS-free book about form that I've found. We're diving into the training strategies you can take to improve your form, rather than actively trying to change your form while you're out running. There's a big difference, and we'll soon discover exactly how to do it. Let's not waste any more time. Please welcome our guest, Jonathan Beverly. Hey, Jonathan. I appreciate you being here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. You're going to help us with our form today uh, so that we can hopefully run more efficiently and powerfully. So I'm excited about this. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm really jazzed up to speak with you is because you devote part of your book to an area that, that I think doesn't get enough attention. Uh, and, and that's what sitting does to our mechanics. Uh, I actually felt inspired, so I took out my laptop stand and converted my desk into a standing desk, so I'm doing this standing up right now, and uh, I think that's a good place to start, you know, rather than getting into the specifics of biomechanics and, and all kinds of other really uh, technical aspects about form. Uh, and I think, you know, because our modern lifestyles make running with optimal form even harder, uh, I'd love to hear you talk more about why sitting is so bad for runners. It's a good question, and I, as you know, the sort of the center point of the book is that it's not so much about trying to, to find a form or, or follow somebody's guidance, but correcting for things that, that are compromising what we should naturally do. And so sitting um, is something that we didn't, we, we weren't designed to do. <laughs> that we uh, are should be upright, straight, as tall as possible, and instead we, our, our hips are sitting are then folded into a 90 degree or, or, or greater angle all the time. So, yeah, if that's a hinge and you've got cables on the front, on the back to pull that, the ones on the front, the hip flexors get shortened and tightened 
<clears throat> to the extent that you're not, where most of us are not physically capable of the hip extension that we would naturally have without all that sitting. Um, and the extension is then what happens. Your hip, you know, your leg moving, the thigh moving behind your hip, the knee moving behind your hip, the other direction of that hinge. That direction is where the power of your stride should actually come through. Um, you use your glute muscle, you use the whole leg in a, in a powerful pushing stride. If you don't have that hip extension, then what you're going to have is, uh, your only option. I mean, if you, if you can't, if you can't bend backwards, you're just going to bend forward. So what your stride ends up doing is reaching forward, landing on the heel and then pulling, you know, back to, back to sort of the, the bottom point of that, of that pendulum and, and repeating. So it, it's a, it's a sitting posture even when you're, when you're running, even when you're standing, you have sort of a sitting posture and, and a reaching, pulling rather than a tall, balanced, floating, pushing motion. It sounds like it really centers along the lines of the strength and mobility of our hips. Um, are, are there other areas that suffer when we spend so much time sitting down? I think I read recently that the average American spends more than nine hours per day sitting down. Is it just wreaking havoc on our hips or are there other muscles or muscle groups that are suffering as well? I mean, related to the hips, sort of in the same region here, but the, the the muscles in your butt, the glute muscles, uh, they are the most fatigue-resistant, powerful muscle in your stride. But if your hips are flexed forward because you're sitting, you know, your glutes aren't being used to hold yourself upright, and they're overstretched, you're out of balance, you, you end up shutting them off. I mean, even when you're walking and running when you should be using them, <clears throat> they aren't being used because they, uh, your hips aren't in a, in a posture for them to, to have their, their leverage. So that's when strength issue happens. But then a, a larger issue that almost everybody has these days is an upper body posture. Uh, again, we're supposed to be upright, straight, balanced. We end up totally hunched forward, our arms forward, our shoulders forward, <clears throat> over our computers, over our cell phones. When we're driving, I mean, most of what we do is is a forward-reaching motion. <clears throat> but... Uh, the running posture should be a, a backwards arm swing. Uh, that's that's the drive of the arm. And, and this is something, while in, everybody has their individual strides, something that you'll see universally in good runners is that their <clears throat> their arms will drive back you know, from, from the shoulder. The shoulder is, is square above the torso and the arm is driving back. So the hand is at the hip or behind. And, and that cues the drive for the leg to drive backwards and, and keeps your balance proper. If, you're, if your arms are in front of you, your balance is off, and, and again, you're going to be reaching forward to counteract that. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a, a, a good position to be in, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, one of the things that I've really noticed with myself is that I tend to have very poor posture at my, at my computer while I'm working. So it's something that I am trying to work on because I can tell, you know, if I'm working for several hours and then I go out for a run, I'm hunched. I need to do a great dynamic warm-up to really, you know, open up my chest and, and get my shoulders down again and remove myself from that really uh, hunched-over bad posture position. Uh, and one of the things I like to tell my athletes is that you have to remember our muscles are pliable. They remember the positions that we put them in. So if you are always putting yourself in poor positions, you know, the other – 23 hours a day that you're not running that that those are positions that your body is going to remember and you're going to be more likely to run with with <clears throat> excuse me improper form so it's something that i think we should all be be aware of uh as we're you know going through our day you know i think one of the most important things i learned from my college running coach was that you know running isn't just what you do at practice it's the lifestyle that surrounds your training to, and it's either going to support it or it's going to make it more difficult uh and, and i think the way that you uh the way that you sit down the way that you hold yourself uh the way that you hold your posture throughout the day is a really important piece of that that, that that's the central central theme of the book is that um, well, a simple summary is one of the experts, uh, mobility expert Laura Bergman says, "How you stand is how you land." Uh, it's it's not about again cueing something. It's uh, it's getting yourself all the time to stand properly. 
Um, and when you talk about that posture humped over, again, it's not just a habit, but it's a, it's actually physically muscularly trained that way. So if your, your chest muscles are too tight, your shoulders, you know, in front of your shoulders are too tight and the back is too weak to, to hold it there. I mean, if you get it in the proper position, it feels unnatural because you haven't, you haven't practiced that. You haven't, haven't trained the muscles to do that. So we have to do some work to get there, uh, just, just to physically do it. And once we've done that, you know, it, we can, we'll naturally fall into a better pattern. You can't, it's not a matter of, of cueing it and trying to hold it. How many runners run with proper form? Is it a minority? Yes, I would say there's a minority. Um, and again, proper is, is a, is a tricky word. Uh, how many run with their optimal form is what I'd say. I mean, that's the, your best stride is everybody's got their own best stride. But I think a, a minority in this day and age run with their best stride because they've been compromised from these things, from from the sitting, from the hunching, uh, from weak weak feet. So, so the things that have, because of our lifestyles, we're not where we need to be in order to run the way we are born to run. Now, why is technique not taught earlier? Because I'm someone who uh, started running at the high school level. I started with cross country, ran indoor track, outdoor track, all throughout college, and you know. There wasn't a lot of attention put on technique and form and uh, how to improve it, uh, both you know both with cues but also drills and strength work and mobility and and all those kinds of things that can impact uh, your movement patterns and how you run. Why don't we focus on this earlier? Because you know when we look at uh, another endurance sport, I like to call swimming and cycling our sister sports. You know. Yeah. Technique and swimming is taught day one. It is so important that you move efficiently throughout the water or else you're never going to be a good swimmer. The same is true for running. If you don't know how to move well around the track or on the road or trail, you're not going to be as good as you could be. So why don't we focus on this? For my research, I think it's be well, there's a number of reasons. One is it's only recently that people really started thinking about it. I mean, the, the conventional wisdom was that you run more and you become more efficient, which is true. I mean, and, and, the, and the experts say that, that the body uh, knows how to run. Your body knows how to run the way it's, it's a natural motion. I mean, as opposed to swimming, um, everybody had swimming lessons just to learn how to swim. Um, and, and then the technique is so important with swimming, whereas running, you, know, you can have somebody with pretty wonky technique and, and they run enough and get the lungs, they, they could be pretty fast. Uh, they might end up with problems, you know, down the road, injury problems. But, but its technique is is not as essential for success in running. Uh, but then the other reason I think is I, I'm not sure that these problems that we're seeing with lifestyle considerations were as critical even 20 years ago. You know, and most of the coaches are, are still, you know, sort of the, the old fashioned of you just train the engine and and the other will take care of itself. I, I do think that our lives have become much more compromised. Even in the last 20 years, you know, kids used to get out and play and climb trees and and you know play pickup football games or whatever else. Now they're they're pretty much. You know, my son right now is playing Xbox in his room. So uh. <laughs> even though the running form author's son is, <laughs> is, is sitting down playing Xbox, I'm sure you haven't set up set him up with a, a standing gaming station. <laughs> No, but I have just about convinced him that he needs to get out of the chair and do the hip flexor stretch, you know, once every <clears throat> every three games or something, because <laughs> he, he he's beginning to see that, you know, that he, he has a compromised posture, you know, because that. So and, and then the other reason I think that is that it's very difficult to change. Right? The, the dynamics are difficult to change. And I mean, as a coach, I've, I've been coaching high school for for 10 years. I I am reluctant to do much because of this. You know, it is true that. Your body compensates for things. You know, if somebody's got a, an arm that kicks out one way, it might be balancing for a, a leg length discrepancy or something like that. You don't want to change too much, and that's what I try to emphasize in in the book. Is that again, it's not it's not trying to to change every you know every motion where your hand is, where your arm is, where your feet land, where you know the angle of your knees. That's not what it's about. It's about correcting for these things that compromise what you naturally do. And then shaking things up. And that's where you get into, like, say, the drills, barefoot striders, you know, running fast on, on, a, on an uneven trail, things that, that recruit new muscles to get your body to say, oh, you know, break out of that plasticity you talked about, the muscle memory, to, to new patterns. And say, oh, I can do this. Oh, this, this is what this is easier. This is what this is the way I should be going and, and learn that new form. Much more than than a coach saying, "Okay, you've got to stand this way, you've got to hold yourself this way, you've got to 
match somebody else's stride. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I'd love to talk more about that because, you know, there's there's a couple different data points that suggest messing with your running form isn't such a good idea. Uh, it's going to create, uh, you know, some potentially imbalances. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of studies that suggest changing, actively changing your form can actually make you a less economical runner. So you lose efficiency. And exactly. one of the best ways to improve your form is just to keep running a lot. Uh, you know, the more experience you have with it, uh, the better you get. Every step is practice. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm always torn when I when I talk about running form. Should I just kind of leave it alone and have runners run more and and not really tweak something? You know, I'm I'm a big believer in in the kind of adage that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But at the same time, it is important to have good technique, and I think there are opportunities to improve it. So how do we reconcile those two? How I did it in the book is that, as as you said, you're not trying to, to change your form as much as change the system that controls the form. Um, I, I have very little. I mean, in fact, the, the, I almost didn't input a chapter on form cues um, because I, because I'm reluctant to do that. I mean, people, that's what everybody wants. They want immediately to go to, OK, what, what should my form look like? How should I run? You know, and you memorize all these things where your head is and where you're. Yeah, where your how your jaw is and how your shoulders are, and it's not about that because the body is smart enough to optimize. And as you said, a lot of research says you mess with it and, and you mess things up. And this is where minimalism, I think, really failed was that it, it prescribed that you have to have a four foot strike and you have to have a um, certain cadence. Um, and even even Daniel Lieberman, who wrote the original Born to Run article in in Nature, he told me he said if if I had known how much emphasis foot strike would have had. I would have said foot strike is important, but it's, it's only one factor. And he also said, you know, the worst thing you can do is tell somebody to try to land on their forefoot. Uh, if that happens, it's a natural result of the things we were just talking about. Uh, if you can get your, your, your hips back rotated and aligned where they're supposed to be, your balance over your hips, your upper body tall and your arms back, and then you, and you're running, lightly and, and naturally that way your foot's going to land where where it's meant to land um, and that could be a, a rear foot strike but it won't be a, a heavy overstriding rear foot strike it'll be a, a you know a quick kiss and, and a lot of elite athletes do that so again it, you shouldn't sit there and think about it i mean i talked to people i was at um, fleet feet boulder for for a book signing and i talked to people in the run beforehand and one woman was like you know, my my Garmin tells me I should have less vertical oscillation, so I'm trying to do that, but it feels really weird. It's like, man, if if you're trying to change your vertical oscillation, I don't even know how you even do that. You're gonna mess things up. <laughs> you're you're more likely to, to mess things up. So uh, so I think the key is change the system back to the way it's supposed to be, and then you can run more, as you said, run, run harder. Once the recent study says, if you, you know, the best way to work on your form is just to run faster. Right. It's so, it's so beneficial. You know, one of the things that I, that I see when I work with, with, with a lot of runners is that a lot of runners don't do any kind of fast running whatsoever. And, you know, they think it's going to uh, cause an injury. They think they're not advanced enough to do any fast running. Uh, they're not training for a race, so they don't do any fast running. But, Fast running kind of helps you get into a good, uh, or, or I shouldn't say good, I should say better. Faster running helps you get into a better uh, running form. Uh, it kind of makes an efficient, more economical form easier to attain uh, because, you know, you can't really run with sloppy form if you're running at 95% of your max effort. Uh, you know, I, I love to have runners uh, do a lot of hills because I think, uh, you know, hard uphill running really re reinforces a proper running form. Uh, and that's just some of the, you know, the principles that you talked about before. Um, you know, and I love that story with, you know, the woman who's trying to change her vertical oscillation. You know, 10 years ago, nobody knew what vertical oscillation was in the in the general running community. And now people are, are really paying attention to these really uh, uh, small details of our running form. Uh, and, and I think that's a, that's a problem. That's a big issue when we really obsess about these 
these things like ground contact time, vertical ratio, uh, vertical oscillation, all these things that, you know, if you're in a lab and you're hooked up to a bunch of sensors and you have a an exercise science biomechanics PhD evaluating f your form, that's the opportunity to really get deep into those metrics. But your Garmin's probably not 100% accurate and you're better off worrying about big picture stuff. And Let's talk about big picture stuff. Let me say one thing about that. Even the people who have the labs, Jay Dashari is one of the, the, the leading um, researcher. He's a physical therapist in Bend, Oregon, and, and, and works with all this. He says, I, I wouldn't tell somebody to change their ground contact time. I mean, there, there are, are very uh, large variations in what is efficient for each person. Uh, and and he, even if you have the lab, a lot of these numbers are, are just a measure of, of where you are. And, and if you're going to look at it, it would just be, you know, in variation of how you, you know, in the start of a 20 mile run and the end of a 20 mile run, not compared to some ideal measure. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought him up because I, his book, Anatomy for Runners, is one of my favorites. I recommend it all the time. I think it's one of the best books on uh, you know, basic injury prevention that you can buy. Uh, so if anyone is, is really into that kind of side topic, definitely recommend it. Let, let's go back to these big picture, uh, principles that runners should focus on rather than, you know, all, all this minutia. If you're sitting down with someone who's a beginner, they haven't even started running yet, but they're going to start tomorrow. What are some of the, the big ideas, the big picture stuff about running form that you would tell them? So first thing is, Take quick steps. I think a, a very natural thing. I don't know if it's it's because we you know we started out at, you know, PE or you, somebody uh, people told you to take long steps. But I mean, this is something you see different. I've been in Kenya and see kids who run for transportation. They take a nice little pitter pattering step, you know, and they got backpack on and you know, th think sort of that, that that you're balanced and you're taking taking quick steps. Uh, better to, to increase your turnover first, and then if you're and if you get length, it's going to be because of power and, and striding out behind you. Um, and then another is, as you just mentioned, I think go go fast sometimes. You know, it, yeah, if you want you want to build up and you're going to go in really easy and you pace yourself with this stuff. But I think from the beginning it would it, it helps people if they you know, a couple times a week. Hit their top speed, you know, you know go, go telephone pole. I don't know if, if you live in the city, you don't telephone poles. They have a block or something. Just just go as fast as you can. Quick turnover again, relaxed, but trying to uh, trying to get that form of, of this is a, you know, a running motion, not a jogging motion and, and not jogging in the pejorative sense, but but jogging in, in the sense of, of, of a sitting, pulling, heel striking type posture. I love it. Those are such great, uh, great suggestions. Um, and what can we expect from improving our form? Is is it something that you know, if we, you know, get a little stronger, if we practice running fast and and improve our cadence a little bit, are are we going to set PRs left and right? I mean, what are what are the big benefits about improving our running form? I think the first thing that I see that I felt and and. I see with other people is just an ease of running. That's the, the first thing is it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as hard I mean, when you're, when you're balanced and you're pushing yourself along, it's more of a floating motion and, and, and it's comfortable and, and enjoyable. Um, so more likely to see improvements that you can go longer, easier first, uh, getting faster is a little bit harder uh, for everybody. And it has, you know, it, the, the form isn't a magic bullet. It's not like, you know, it, if you, if you're doing you know, 20 miles a week now, Increasing that to 40 miles a week over a few months is going to make you faster than working on your form probably during that time. What do you think of chi running or the pose method? So, you know, when when chi running first came, when Danny Dreyer first started talking about this stuff, we did we published some stuff in Running Times, and and I've I've talked with Danny Dreyer. I think it's a, I think in in general he's he's got the, some of the same aspects. I mean, certainly the hips and, and and the whole idea of chi is holding your chi, you know, in your hips, and so it doesn't let it spill out the front. And that's what we're trying to do here. With I do think it. Um, well, two things. One, they, they both overemphasize a, a specific, you know, form. A little bit too too specific. You know, the pose is is as it says a pose, and and everyone's supposed to to match that pose. And I don't think the bodies are built that way. Everybody's body's not the same. And um, and two both are are really geared for minimum impact, you know, just sort of safe running. 
um, if, in, in, as I understand them, at least, and, and I could not, but but I think that uh, so so they, it, it, it it's taking you towards a specific form that's going to make make it the, the least impact if you can if you can do it, and that's and that's a, a lot of the studies show that. It's almost impossible, almost impossible for most people to change their form by thinking about it. And, and any of these methods are about thinking about it. It's about you know, trying to, to emulate a certain style. Uh, and, and it just doesn't happen. The, the studies show that you, you, and you, put on, you put on a pair of minimal shoes, 90% of the people don't automatically adapt to a, to a softer stride, so they end up with stress fractures. Yeah. You, you try to run a certain way, you might be able to really concentrate and change something a little bit, but uh, often it's not. You end up with more of a wonky, convoluted stride by changing that way, as opposed to, again, changing the system, then going and, and running hard and, and doing drills and, and playing with your range of motion and letting your, letting your body find its own way. Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on with with the analysis that they overemphasize a certain aspect of the form. Uh, and one of the reasons that I have stayed away from both of these methods is that one of them in particular is that forward lean. And I I tend to not even recommend runners have a forward lean because there's a lot of baggage with that and a lot of runners simply can't do it. They don't have the strength to have that, you know, really uh, that that proper forward lean from the ankles, that straight line from the head, <clears throat> excuse me, the head all the way down to the ankles. Um, and, and actually, in reading your book, you don't recommend that either. Um, is there more to it than you simply are not strong enough to do it? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that forward lean. So in terms of forward lean, I really feel that the problem starts with the idea of lean is that people think about leaning as, as leaning forward from the waist. Um, I, I like the term. I do talk a little bit about this. I call it the elusive forward lean, but uh, it, I like the term dynamic balance that the key first is you got to get yourself to a balance. Most of us are, are uh, actually have a little bit of a backward lean where we're locked back on our heels and, and then our hips are, are tilted forward and we got this sway back yeah, so first, getting yourself tall, you know, like reaching for the sky as far as you can. So you're lifting up your chest and you're rotating your hips. And then usually you have to get your chest a little bit forward to be balanced over your feet. So you, your weight is balanced you know, over the ball of your feet and, and your heel. And that, and that really, you know, you're forward already. You're forward of what most people end up standing and running. And then if you just take that a little bit forward again, it's just a balance. But the dynamic balance is you're 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 forward of that, so that you have to catch yourself on you know on on the step, and then you're running. So it, it's a tall, dynamic balance, not a forward lean, because the and the forward lean is so gradual, so tiny, it looks upright even if if you were to if you were to film it, you know, a, a forward leaning person tends to be pretty much upright. You talk about one thing, and you've mentioned it several times here, um, and, and it's talked about extensively in your book, uh, this idea of balance. And I, I think you're using it differently than what most people will think of when they think the term balance. Uh, what do you mean by that? Is it simply the ability to stand on one foot? No, it's not, although that's part of it. I mean, there is a single leg balance that, that is part of the running posture. But <clears throat> when I talk about balance throughout the book, it is it is getting your your upper body balanced over your hips and over your legs such that you're not using muscular effort just to keep yourself upright. Uh, mostly that's, that's, you know, forward and back. And, and again, we're talking about this hip rotation and, and where you, and your posture of your arms and your shoulders. Uh, when you find that balance, suddenly everything feels better. I mean, it, it, it really is. I think for, for me, I worked on this a lot, you know, in my late 40s, and it was the first time I felt sort of athletic. You know, if you see an athletic person on the basketball court or someplace, they can move at will in any direction they want, and they're 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 light on their feet. And I think a lot of that is is balance that they're because of their core strength, because of their posture, they they are over top of their hips. They're um, 
another term, um, connected. That's what uh, Bobby McGee, coach out of Boulder, calls it. You know, you, you're stacked on your hips. You're connected. You have this this feeling of of, of ease that you are are one. So so you're then when you're driving with your legs, it's driving through your whole body and, and making you move rather than when you're out of balance, you drive with your leg and, and your body you know, torques sideways or, or your back torques and, and you, you, most of your energy is gone towards a, a balance and, and rotational forces rather than propelling you forward. Uh, Jada Shari uses the term, you know, you can't fire a cannon out of a canoe. Uh, and that's so, so the balance has to do with with making it so that you have a stable platform when you're firing the cannon of your leg muscles. I love that analogy. That's perfect. Um, how do you improve balance? Is it is it is it just do a lot of core work or are there drills? What what are some of your recommendations on how we can be more balanced with our, within our hips? First thing I do with all the all the runners I coach myself is, is just to get tall. You know, as I said, and get yourself up and tall. Um, and then, and then you look down and you should be able to like see the top of your shoelaces or the, or the front of your ankles there, um, that gets your hips back and, and you're straight above. You should feel your balance over the, over the balls of your feet and over, and then do that. A lot of it is, is just, is practice. This is one area that it is a, a skill. Um, every time you stand up, every time you're standing, you, you're standing in line waiting for your Starbucks coffee when you're standing up for the national anthem, you know, whatever, standing on the bus, notice where your balance is. And, and very quickly, you notice that almost always you end up with this, you know, uh, shoulders back, back on your heels, weighted, and, and you get yourself up, you get yourself into that balance and become, so that becomes the default. Um, and then, as you said, um, often you need to build some core strength in order to, to keep it there. I mean, that's, that's the other part of form that I think we tend to have wrong is, uh, we think of form as just something you learn. You, you train to run faster, and and you you practice to have good form. You actually actually train to have good form too. You have to have the the core strength and the and the you know, postural endurance is another term I think either Jay used or or Trent Nessler, another physical therapist, um, to be able to maintain it, and that requires training. Uh, so, so uh, planks and legs lift off planks and bridges, side leg lifts for the glutes, some of these things. Yeah, there there is a big focus on the core and also on the hips in your book, uh, and it's not just for fun. I mean, it's it's really to improve yeah. your your postural integrity and your hip drive. Um, is is it so simple as just do more core and hip strength work? I'd love to hear you talk more about mobility and drills in this area too. The mobility issue, you have to do something that most of us don't do anymore, which is the static stretch. The physical therapists say that you know once your once your hip flexors are shortened, you have to actually lengthen them, and that's not just mobility. I mean, the the, the you know leg swings, the, the drives, the drills, all those help you with maintain a range of motion and, and activate that range of motion. But then one of the first things you need to do is is actually do a static some static stretches you know three to five minutes like every day for two months <laughs> unbelievable commitment but to to get your to lengthen the tissues of your flexors and and often with the shoulders it's the same things it's gotten so tight in the front that you need to lengthen that and then strengthen the ones behind in the back of the shoulders and in the glutes to hold it that way and to keep that posture you know i, I think yeah. if if runners were to add a little bit more strength work a little bit more mobility work and then uh, you know, dealt with the amount of time that they spend sitting down, uh, their form would be much better and improved and, and not because they're actively trying to change it. Because I think that's, you know, one of the key elements from your book is don't just go out there and try to change your form. Don't try to run differently. Um, you know, right. the big premise here is, you know, let's create the strength, mobility and conditions around your running that are going to support uh, a really efficient stride. And and I just love that you've, you know, you've pulled in physical therapists, podiatrists, uh, biomechanics experts, uh, all kinds of researchers and, and coaches to really get a, a really good picture of what does 
efficient economical form look like and what are the common elements of that form not here's the template that you must follow like you know some of the other running form methods out there it's really you know what are the fundamentals let's get those right and then everything else there's a little bit of wiggle room because you know i think the only the only constant in a natural system like our bodies is uh, variation. And there's going to be so much variation in all of the unique, subtle ways that we run. And so I really like how your book uh, is, is a lot more comprehensive than a lot of the other uh, programs out there. Thank you. Yeah, and that's really where I ended up. Um, and I think maybe a couple of the surprises were I mean, even cadence, you know, that that, that was – one of the, the mandates of minimalism, and, and it is important that you run with a faster cadence, but I mean, a lot of the experts said, you know, that again is as individual as, as other elements, and you can mess yourself up as much by going too fast with cadence as by going too slow. Um, you, often when you go too fast, you, you end up with a, with a shortened, you know, leg extension behind. You pull up too quickly and you're getting into the hamstrings too much there rather than the glute letting it drive out behind. Um, so, so cadence, again, is a sort of a natural result of things working better, not something you focus on. And it's one of the variables you can you can play with. But uh, again, we shouldn't we shouldn't be tied into, OK, this is the way it has to be. Everybody's got to be 180 cadence. Everybody's got to be this way. Everybody's got to do a certain thing. Now, once you get your body back to how, how it was when you were born, then it's going to naturally fall into some better patterns. Yeah, and there's one area that I'd like to touch on that we haven't before we wrap up today. Uh, it's the the issue of your arm movement and your arm carriage. Now, there have been some studies that show you know what your arms are doing is in part a result of what your legs are doing. So you know it's kind of counterbalancing you. It's providing you know that counterweight to uh, whatever's going on with your lower body. Um, or, so. You know, you've talked about a lot of different ways that we can improve our our running form, and it seems like it's specific to our legs. So let's do drills. Let's do, uh, you know, uh, a core exercises so that we have a stronger uh, platform on which to, you know, fire that cannon, if we're going to use that analogy. But when it comes to our arms, is that something that we should be toying with with our running? Because, you know, I see that changing your arm movement might be, uh, less damaging to your economy than changing your leg movement. Am, am I off base with that? And, and what do you recommend for your arms? I don't think you're off base with that. The arms are a lot easier to, to mess with, you know, in, in terms of uh, saying w what's happening here. And, and, and I think track coaches have done this forever, you know, sort of use your arms. Now, I think that's a little bit too much general and people tend to reach forward when you say that. But uh, yeah, what I, what I, saw from from coaches and and physical therapists and everyone again is the idea that you need to drive your arms backwards that's the real key get your elbows back um, in fact you know, two cues that i ended up with is run tall so you get you're always thinking you're tall you're lifting yourself up and elbows back i mean those are, are really the essential if you're going to take two things you want to do it's run tall and elbows back um but then the arms you uh as you said, you know, in terms of cadence and things like that, you, you can play with your arms some. And there's lots of uh, lots of interesting cues that people talk about. Um, Gordon Peary was a, a British miler. He he talks about having uh, like think you have have a, a wall right in front of you, and 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 you stop your hand. You're hitting it when your hand comes forward of your torso. It's hitting that wall. Um, that again just sort of stops it from reaching out too far and and and, and bounces off that and drives back. That that's it's been a fun cue for me to think about, um, and it does make you make you drive backwards farther, get a little bit taller, and take quicker stride because you're not letting it flow all the way out. So you just quick, and and your legs follow what your arms do. So it's it's kind of fun thing. Um, Golden Harper, who's the founder of Ultra and into all this stuff, he says he's he's ended up saying that he starts with arms that's you know that's really if you can get people's arms back driving backwards a whole lot of things happen with posture and and balance if you want to talk about that yeah the the, the whole idea of arm movement it's funny when i think back to my early days of running it seems like my coaches always put more emphasis on the arms than than the legs you know they weren't giving me 
uh, cues for my legs as much as they were saying, you know, let's, you know, let use your arms. Let's drive down. One of my coach's favorite cues for, uh, driving up a hill when you're in the middle of a race is pretend you're throwing pebbles at your feet and it kind of, it forces you to kind of have this strong downward movement with your arm, which really helps your, your elbow get back. So, you know, I can see how mm -hmm. some of those cues will really help, especially in a race situation or during a hard workout when, you know, you're really trying to, uh, to, to push yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> and I've done a few things with, with my high school kids too. Um, I, I use a PVC pipe, just a, a half inch PVC pipe about two feet long, um, and have them start out a run or pass one around, you know, like four people on a run where you put that between your elbows and your back. And that's just cueing you again to the idea. It, it's exaggerated and, and some of the kids really hate it, <laughs> but, but it does at least make you feel, okay, I can run this way without my hands even coming, you know, forward of my torso. And, and then once you take it out, it leaves you a little bit still in that back. Or you can do like a, a harness sort of around your shoulders and, and back across your back that, that just slightly cues. OK, we're, we're going to keep this upright. We're going to keep it backwards oriented. Can, can you explain the PVC pipe one more time? I'm not sure if I have a good visual. Sure. OK, so it's, you know, two feet long pipe um, and, and you put it between your elbow, across your back and into the other elbow. So your elbows are being held behind your back by this pipe and you're, and you're holding it there. Just, you know, your, your forearm is underneath it and your elbow behind your body. I see. I see. Oh, that would be quite uncomfortable to run with. But I could see it pushes your shoulders back. It, it puts your entire upper body in a much more runner friendly economical position. Exactly. And your posture has to your weight has to come forward and, and you you know, your torso just to keep balanced. If, if you're in a back sitting position <laughs> with that, you end up falling over backwards. I mean, because your arms are back. I, people compensate for the, for the sitting posture by having their arms in front of you. I mean, like if you do an air squat, you do that naturally. You know, you put your arms out in order to go you know, down and back. So w once you get this back, you, your chest comes forward and you've got to take shorter steps and, and just keep above your body. And again, it's exaggerated, uh, but it's, it, surprisingly, if you run it for with it for a while, it can kind of disappear too. If you if your shoulders come back and relaxed, and you're just letting your hands, you know, move a, a couple inches with with the pipe, you know, resting on your elbows there. Yeah, sounds kind of diabolical. I think I would have some choice words for my coach if he made me run, <laughs> run distance <laughs> run with a pipe behind me. Um, but you know, like I always say, coaches don't give you what you want; they give you what you need. Uh, let's transition to barefoot running. Uh, I think, you know, besides the emphasis on a four foot strike, the other thing born to run did, uh, which was a boon to podiatrists everywhere was encourage a lot of people either to run in extremely minimalist shoes, like say the Vibram five fingers or to run barefoot. And, uh, you know, I drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid back in 2009, 2010, but you know, I, I went from someone who used it much more strategically to someone who tried to do it a lot more than I should. And I've kind of, the pendulum has swung back to the kind of sane, <laughs> the sane side where, you know, barefoot running in my book is a strategic tool that you can use for a lot of different goals. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it and, and how you would prescribe some barefoot running to a runner to help improve their form. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think uh, we, we've we've grown up with shoes. We've, we're used to shoes. Uh, we don't have the we don't have the the, the skin or the tendons or, or all the rest to, to run barefoot all the time. I mean that said, you take off your shoes and you you run 20 feet across a grassy field, and and you feel that natural movement. It feels light. It feels relaxed. And so that's what I do. Um, I do myself and and with the kids I coach is you know, two or three times a week finish the run at the football field, take off your shoes or the golf course. If you're lucky enough to have a town that lets you run on the golf course. <laughs> oh, that would be perfect. That's like my favorite yeah. training venue. Yeah, it's awesome. So we go early in the morning before the golfers are there and, and, uh, and, and it's our cross country course too. But then, yeah, so we finish the, we finish the workout. Everybody takes off their shoes and you do 10 seconds. Um, I used to have them just do sprints, but what I'm fine is that, because you, you know, sprinting is such a different motion than the normal, you know, 5k pace or, or long run pace that it doesn't translate as well. So I have them do multiple pace 
at, at barefoot. So, you know, start out the first time, you know, just your normal long run pace, whatever that is, you know, eight minute, nine minute mile, um, but barefoot and, and you're, you're tall and light and you're, and you're going across the, you know, 10 to 20 seconds along, along the football field or the golf course. And then, and then do one, uh, fairly fast, you know, as fast as you can make your feet go without straining and then come back to a 5k pace and try to, you know, integrate that, that feeling of going fast, but now you're, you know, you're, you're relaxed and comfortable. Uh, and I, I think it, it's huge for, like I said, cueing all the things we've been talking about, uh, your, your posture, you're running light, you're running balanced and, uh, and quick. Yeah. I really like the idea of doing multiple paces, uh, barefoot because, you know, running really slow while you're barefoot might actually not really give you too much benefit if that's all you're doing. Because, you know, if you have sloppy form with shoes on, you know, running barefoot at the same pace is only going to improve it by uh, a certain amount. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I think doing multiple paces gets the best of both worlds. And so you're not only reinforcing proper form, but you're gaining a lot of foot and lower leg strength. One of the things that I love to see runners do, and, you know, I did this for, you know, it was like part of our training. It was not really optional, but, you know, in college we would do most of our strides after an easy run barefoot. And mm -hmm. what I like about doing strides barefoot is that you are not just sprinting, you know, a stride is really an acceleration. Uh, if you were to plot the effort of a stride, you know, it'd be like a bell curve, you know, you start a jog mm -hmm. build to about say 95% of your maximum effort. Uh, so it's very much a controlled sprint rather than an all out sprint. And then you hold that for one or two seconds and then coast kind of to a, to a stop. And, uh, you know, this has a lot of the same elements of that. You know, you're, you're getting a lot of different paces in over just, you know, say a 20 or 25 second effort. So, uh, I think both of those have such valuable, uh, benefits to, to every runner. And if you can get out there and, and do a tiny bit of barefoot running, you know, I, I, I like to call barefoot running like Elmer's glue, a dab will do you. You don't need to do all of your mileage. Uh, without shoes on, you don't need to start going by barefoot Jonathan. You can you can keep your name <laughs> and uh, just do a tiny bit and and get most of the benefits from it. I agree. Now the other place I think is all the rest of the time. Anytime you can get barefoot, get barefoot. Yeah, but when you when you come home, drop your shoes at the door like <laughs> as if you were you know an Asian. And uh, it, when you can be out, you know, you're playing with your kids in the lawn. Go barefoot. When you're any time you can go barefoot, you're going to strengthen your feet. You're going to strengthen your balance. Yeah, that's true. I, I try to tell all my runners to be really mindful of the shoes that they're wearing when they're not running. You know, if you're walking around in stiletto heels 20 hours a day, you know you're really going to be shortening your Achilles and putting yourself in a very unnatural position that you know, like we mentioned earlier, your body's going to remember. So I'm really into minimalist shoes casually you know i i love mm -hmm. flip-flops i have a pair of sperry's that i wear that have a negligible heel toe drop they're super flexible and low to the ground uh what are your thoughts on casual shoes i know you mentioned you know trying to be barefoot a lot of the yep. times when you're not running but what about the shoes that we wear on a daily basis i agree wholeheartedly with you as as minimal as possible you know without arch support without heel lift even without cushioning as, as much as possible. And there are some good options. And now the one other thing is with a, with a wide toe box. And this is yeah, a hard thing, particularly for women, but for men too. I mean, most, most casual shoes, dress shoes, for that matter, too many running shoes, uh, cramp down the toe box. And, uh, I, I do have a chapter on shoes and, and one of the principles that everyone agrees upon is that foot fit is as important or more important than features. You know, we've been obsessed with, with the midsoles and the, and the post and, and all that. But if, if your foot, particularly your forefoot is cramped, then your, your body will react against that. And it is at that, at the hip extension, you know, when your foot is behind you and flexing, it wants to flex outward. And if it's encountering resistance and pain, it won't do that. So you won't stride back there. So if you don't have the room for your toes at the end and, and the toes in the width, then it's not going to work properly. And, and a good place to start is, like I said, with your casual shoes. Uh, there are some companies that are yeah, ultra is one, zero, the number of the, the minimalist shoe companies have shoes that have room for your toe that, that still look good around the office. 
Yeah, I'm always I'm always baffled sometimes when I think about the running shoes out there that are pointed at the toe. I'm like, we don't have pointed feet. Why are the running shoes pointed? Because it cramps your toes and and it reduces your balance. Uh, so it something that always boggled me. But I'm glad that we're on the same page there. Yeah, I increasingly believe that's one of the one of the huge factors because you. Once your toes are cramped, or I mean, the epidemic of bunions, and once your toes are, are permanently that way, you really can't even form your stride properly, your arch properly for the for the base of support. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here. We covered a lot in a little amount of time, and uh, this is like one of those episodes that uh, I would love to just print out and highlight all of the actionable things that runners can take from this. Everything from cues to strength work to mobility to casual shoes running shoes you know there's a lot to to really chew on from from this episode of the show and uh you know normally i'm not so you know as gung-ho about my guests books but your book is quite possibly one of the best primers on running form that i've seen uh it is your best stride how to optimize your natural running form to run easier farther and faster with fewer injuries and who doesn't like those benefits? So, Jonathan, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's really my pleasure, and I appreciate how much you're on the same page. I'm sure you're helping a lot of runners. Oh, well, thank you. I, I try to. I try to uh, focus on the fundamentals. I think they are much more important than uh, you know some of the fads that we see in the running industry, and and we can get lost chasing minutia and fads and and you know, quick fixes, but this is running. It's a long-term sport. There are no quick fixes. If you get the fundamentals right, you're going to be that much farther ahead of every other runner. Excellent. Well, I appreciate being here and it's fun to talk to you. We can talk again. Man, I really loved that conversation. A big thanks to Jonathan for taking some time out of his day to share his expertise and help us all out. Don't forget that you can find links to all the resources that we mentioned on the show. Just head on over to strengthrunning.com slash podcast, and you'll find more info about this episode right there and all of our previous episodes. Let's not also forget to thank today's podcast sponsor, Health IQ, a special type of insurance company that helps health-conscious people like us runners get lower life insurance rates. Now, historically, runners have been penalized for things like family history and other attributes, but not rewarded for their healthy lifestyles. Health IQ changes that. They've gathered science data to convince insurance companies that health-conscious folks like runners deserve lower rates. And since research has shown avid runners have a 41% lower risk of heart disease and up to a 35% lower risk of early death, they've been successful. Over the last three years, they've helped tens of thousands of athletes secure billions of dollars of coverage. Want to see if you qualify? Go to healthiq.com backslash strengthrunning to see how much money running can save you on life insurance. That's it for the show today. I appreciate all your support, and I'm so grateful for it. Thank you so much for listening.